Hi, I'm Corey Nathan, and this is Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other. Your home for edifying, provocative, and fun conversations among high-profile public figures and regular folks like me. We talk about faith and politics and all kinds of topics that really matter in our culture. So if you're tired of all the screamers out there taking all the oxygen out of the room and you want to join us and taking some of that space back, you'll love talking politics and religion without killing each other. Thanks for spending some time with us. Enjoy today's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan, and so grateful to have a place to talk about religion and politics and big ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting, accomplished folks of goodwill in good faith. And I'm really excited to announce that it's easier than ever to find us and join our community and perhaps support us. And that's on politicsandreligion.us. The and, A-N-D is spelled out actually, politicsandreligion.us. Check it out. And that'll really help us continue to have conversations like the one we're having today with our renowned guest, Josh Good. Josh Good is the director of Faith Angle Forum, a program of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, which aims to strengthen reporting and commentary on how religious believers, religious convictions, and religiously grounded moral arguments affect American politics and public life. Josh Good, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm well, Corey. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to catch up on the phone a few weeks back and looking forward to this. Yeah, it's great. So I I want to start, if you could tell us a little bit about Michael Cromartie and the founding of Faith Angle Forum. You bet. It started in 1999 when this kind of legend, uh, uh, just a a friend to many around town in D.C., he worked at the same think tank for 35 years, uh, graduate of Covenant College and a, a master's program. In, in, Wait, in did government. anything good come out of Covenant College? <laughs> <laughs> he was our legend hero. He taught yeah. a class that I actually took when I was a junior um, on Christianity and politics. And uh, that helped me kind of acclimate to, to coming to D.C. as well. I actually worked at EPPC um, in 1998 and 99 for its president when Mike was there. But like four years after that, uh, actually 1999, just the next year, Mike was taking a call from a journalist uh, like a regular day. He ran a evangelicals and civic life program and ran conferences of various kinds through, through the many years. Uh, but he, he got a call from a journalist who said, okay, so you're saying something about uh, Southern Baptists are rethinking their definitions about, about gender somehow, uh, you know, men and women. You said the book was Ephesians uh, that you were commenting on that we should should get he said who's the who's the publisher uh, where, where do i get a copy uh, and mike said oh my gosh you know this has got to be an opportunity here um and famous pieces were written about how you know christians in america or evangelicals in america were were ignorant and easy to command you know famous stories that sort of made it seem like there was some kind of a gulf some kind of a gap and uh in short in some conversations with a guy at pew uh Luis lugo uh the idea came to sort of you know, start for 10 years, these regular twice a year forums up in Maine to go deep with a scholar or a cleric of religion, uh, you know, in a group of 20 or so journalists and not a little sort of lunch hour conference, but a, but a two day deep dive 
uh, into religious faith, into sort of sociology of religion, into what the reality of you know Catholic vote looked like, or evangelicals in America were, were wrestling with, um, and they did for a decade. And then the funding sort of changed slash dried up, and he had to build it all again from scratch, just with friends and with other uh, foundations. It'd be really scrappy. And Mike, if you knew him, was just incredibly. He was full of life. He was always uh, buoyant in energy. He was a hustler and he did it. And he, he got it up again to build essentially uh, once a year, sometimes twice a year forums, mostly in Miami and carried that on for another, another uh, maybe it was about seven or eight more years until he died all too early in 2017 of cancer. And then Pete Wayner ran it for a year. And then I came in a year after uh, that to take over. And we've been, been growing uh, the work that Mike really created uh, ever since. Big shoes to fill, it sounds like. Special. He was amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. We like to think he's hearing this podcast and smiling. I hope he is. Yeah, there's a great video on the uh, the website, a tribute to him. And just every picture is, you know, one smile after another. I could tell I it pours out of the screen. The um, I think the word that David Brooks used was ebullient or something like I, I think I think that's right. But just uh, a, a cup overflowing with life. We had an event today, uh, Corey, with Francis Collins and uh, Pete Weiner and, and uh, Deb Harsma of BioLogos. And one of the journalists in that event was Carl Cannon. And Carl had this great story about Mike, a piece he wrote, actually, when Mike died. And he, he basically reflected, you know, I don't think in retrospect that I can ever remember a conversation with Mike where he didn't smile. Mm. It was a way of life for him. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So you had one and the recording is being released. So this recording will be released, um, whether it's Monday, the I think that's the 7th or, or the 14th. But it, you have all kinds of events like this. Uh, today's event was with uh, Peter Weiner and and um, who, who else was was there? There were a couple of folks that were involved. Yes, yes, uh, of, of the Atlantic and, and New York Times and a fellow here. And then Dr. Francis Collins, the mm. outgoing director of the NIH, uh, right. and also the Human Genome uh, Project uh, director, uh, just incredible uh, life, just retired about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of his early events to do quietly with a group of journalists, but agreed to do it publicly and had some really interesting things to say about, about COVID and about uh, you know the faith pieces of that and his own evangelical community uh, not engaging uh, with the vaccine like he thought they would and the, the pain of that, as well as the joy of eventually getting there. And Deb Hartsman, and we had about 12 journalists who were on the phone as, as well, or in, on the Zoom call. Uh, so Mona Charon from the Bulwark, Will Salatin, who just jumped over to there, uh, John Ward of Yahoo News, uh, and Carl Cannon, uh, and a number of others. Uh, happy to, to give the whole list. That's, uh, that, it, those, those sound like really inspiring and thought-provoking panels, lots of discussions. Are these types of events the kinds of things that you're having throughout the year? Or is it just the, the the twice a year big forum that you have? Yeah, I mean, so we've basically tried to keep momentum with what Mike got going, uh, twice a year forums in Miami. But we've built a few new things as well. We, we, we hired a full-time staffer last June. And so we have a, a conference in Europe now for the first time. We've done two of those. And um, David often will say, that's it feels like Faith Angle at the beginning because none of the journalists over there are thinking about religion at all. Mm. Uh, like what your podcast is introducing a lot of us to, better nuanced, thicker, truer stories if, if religion is always in the room. So that's new. We have a forum called uh, the Michael Cromerty Forum uh, in Mike's honor for young journalists uh, now once a year, uh, under 35 reporters and 
emerging young columnists uh, who are just getting going in their, in their career, but have a lot of promise. And we'll bring them to DC and let them mix with a lot of the journalists who are more senior. Um, and then we've started a, a new, a new uh, forum in, in Napa to try to support West Coast journalists who have a hard time flying for two days to Miami. You know, we, we have had a number of really renowned journalists on our program. And we've done that on purpose because I, I believe that you know, journalism or mainstream media, it gets a it gets a bad rap. It's it's really easy and kind of lazy to to demonize what's happening in in the media in general. But I think there's great journalism happening in our midst and and we just need to celebrate that. So that's a problem that we identified. And one of the main reasons that we bring on these great journalists. What are some of the problems? Can, can you summarize or diagnose some of the problems in our culture that Faith Angle Forum is trying to address? Well, that's generous. I think, you know, maybe easiest to do it with story or two. Uh, another journalist that's on our advisory council um, is called Mike Gerson, uh, who is, of course, Bush's yeah. you know, chief speechwriter. Yeah, and your listeners will probably be familiar. What writes for the Post? He's one of my favorites. Yes, isn't he great? So, and publicly is battling cancer right now. So, could use our uh, collective prayers. So, he's in a tough spot, but an incredible output and um, was, was served the country and significantly involved in PEPFAR. Anyway, Mike tells this great story about being on the campaign trail with then Governor Bush uh, in, I think it was 1999. And apparently, the president made a comment, Governor then, excuse me, made a comment saying, you know, I, I I don't really want to focus on the, you know, the speck in my brother's eye when there could be a log in my own eye. And uh, the New York Times reporter who was, you know, covering said, um, you know, we understand that to be some variation of the old phrase about the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. You know, uh, it's like, oh, well, that's not actually what it was, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually, like, you know. Today, what, you know, still, even if it's slid an institutional membership down from 70% to 51%, 50% who have an institutional relationship with a local church, it's still a very religious country. And yet journalists tend to not appreciate what the mainstream American in the pews or the heartland, uh, especially coastal elite journalists uh, are identifying with. And so the idea is, you know, is there some way uh, to make headway on that, you know, uh, Rick Warren similarly, you know, sold uh, that book, The Purpose Driven Life, years ago, yeah. and he came to a Faith Angle forum. And actually, this is a Carl Cannon story. Also, he told, he said basically, like, you know, I had to sell 18 million books <laughs> before I finally got my first review in an American major mainstream new newspaper. You know, yeah. I just yeah. didn't touch it because you know it seemed like so other, so so different. Um, you know, stories again are told of you know the Pope's burial, John Paul II's, and this idea that there was a, a crow's ear uh, there. Oh, right. You know, except of course, really, it's supposed to be a crozier, the staff that he, right. but it got through the editorial, you know, there are times <laughs> it was published, you know, uh, and, and all kinds of other corrections like that. Jesus is buried in the church of the Holy Sepulcher, or was buried, is buried. There are just many, many evidences of, of, of just sort of foibles that, that people, people can make. And the, the, the line sort of coming out of, of uh, some, some reflection on, on, on this was just like, there's, there's a gulf, right, between uh, the way uh, sometimes we as mainstream reporters cover things quickly. We got a lot of things going on. There are economic pressures. And uh, sometimes we get alienated. I have a quote from a guy at the St. Petersburg Times, Roy Peter Clark, who says, I'm just now taking seriously the theory that we mainstream journalists are different from mainstream America. We are alienated. 
and my own blind spots all too easily blot out religious Americans. Unfortunately, that makes me less of a citizen and less of a journalist. So it's that it's that gulf. Yeah. You you quote Peter Berger. It, there's a, a chapter that you wrote for. Is it Rutledge or Routledge? I think it's Rutledge. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The Rutledge Handbook of Religious Literacy, Pluralism and Global Engagement. And Peter Berger uh, later in his life, uh, he, he said in 2014, modernity does not necessarily produce secularity. It necessarily produces pluralism, by which I mean the coexistence in the same society of different worldviews and value systems. So more broadly speaking in our culture, that seems to be a counterintuitive observation if we're to take much of what's being written and said in, in respected outlets today, isn't it? I think so. I mean, and it's it's so interesting, right? Like, um, here's a, a sociologist who, you know, taught for north of four decades at Boston University, you know, extremely uh, entrenched, thoughtful, prolific scholar, plus 50 plus books. And he basically said halfway through his career, I was wrong. Mm. I thought, you know, I thought the creation of wealth, economic advancement, being part of uh, sort of Western societies where prosperity is rising was going to lead to less religion. And it hasn't, or it certainly hasn't in America. And maybe it will, you know, it may in the future, but it certainly hasn't. And, and so what we need to kind of get comfortable with is, you know, not Marx's prediction uh, that it'll wither away, but instead that it will, it will maybe just take varied forms. Mm. And we couldn't, you know, we don't necessarily need to be threatened by that. It may be the case that if we have vibrant, plural religion and great religious diversity and and as i see it you know jewish schools and evangelical protestant schools catholic schools muslim schools uh, of various kinds maybe you know uh religious publicly funded radio stations as well of various kinds you know that allow for incredible growth and and organic cultivation of deeper belief will have better societies people who have thicker religious roots a lot of times are much better in the public square than those who do away with it in order to be somehow neutral like the French. Um, and that's a big deal right now with all the problems that, that you guys are, we're all wrestling with that are part of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in that same chapter, you, you say sometimes religious activity of any kind is categorized by elite journalists as right wing, regardless of its goals. But I did want to, I, I alluded to this before, I did want to ask you, did, isn't it also true that many of our friends uh, in, in the church automatically characterize the entirety of the MSM, like I said before, uh, as left wing or leftists? What do you think about that? And and are you engaging in, in that mindset as well? Yeah, I mean, sure, that's common uh, narrative. And yet, you know, any of us who has, uh, cable television and can thumb through the channels will know that you can find MSNBC and CNN and you can find uh, the Wall Street Journal and Fox. You know, there's not as if there's sort of one singular uh, tilt. I don't know. I think the mainstream media, uh, getting to know more journalists, I'm sure I'm biased, but like it did pretty well in navigating uh, the reality of, of COVID. I'm just thinking about that today, you know, in terms of reporting on on numbers, on what the vaccine is and does, it's certainly not fixed at all. Uh, and there are definitely institutions that have questioned uh, what's what's written, but I think it does pretty well. I mean, it, to me, it's more like, um, you know, that line from from uh, Tim Keller has talked a lot about in recent years that like, you know, 
a lot of us are spending a lot of time inside of certain feedback loops and, and churches have struggled to keep up with that pace. Right. I think his line was that like, you know, most Christians are just nowhere nearly as deeply immersed in scripture and theology as in their social media bubbles, uh, newsfeed bubbles. And that may be, you know, for woke evangelicals uh, who are just as much influenced by MSNBC and liberal Twitter uh, and for conservative Christians, it's just as much, you know, influenced by Fox News and their particular loops. But they're both they're both living in these things 10, you know, eight hours a day, whereas they go to church once a week uh, and they're just not immersed in the kinds of you know, Christian worldview or biblical study that would be necessary to to wisely sift uh, those particular loops, feedback loops. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And a, a, a scholar from Duke Divinity School uh, pointed out on your podcast just recently that there are folks who don't even go to church that do have religious experiences. Going to a Trump rally is a religious experience, you know, and, and you know, wearing the hat and um, cheering there. It's it's a there's participation in that. There's the same impulses in us as humans that um, folks would go to church for. And it's replacing that. That's why someone who never darkens the door of a church might identify as an evangelical nowadays. There, there have been some studies about that. I do want to back up for a second here, though. I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. You're Wisconsin transplant. Oh, uh, most recently, uh, we went out to Wisconsin to work in philanthropy with a big uh, family foundation out there. And my old boss was fond of saying, you know, if you work for a big family foundation and you get to know one family foundation, remember, you know, one family foundation, you don't know Mm. anything about other family foundations. So it was kind of like that a little bit. It was a great, great team of 29 of us, uh, billion dollar foundation that was working with the seminaries and churches and pastors as in part of what they do at K-12 character formation and also work with engineering schools and engineering faculty. Uh, But it was an engineer who was the son of an itinerant preacher from Iowa, Um, just a delightful human being, 96 years old now to work for. And we also started a K-8 Christian school out there. And then we came back to DC. We've lived here 12 of the last 20 years. So we missed it, missed our friends, we missed the pace, the energy. Uh, it's been really a, a joy to come back uh, three years ago, but we were uh, in, in Wisconsin for, for four years. So uh, so you, you we talked about Covenant College, studied history there? I did, yes, yes. And then you went to, um, you got your master's at a little known school called Harvard. <laughs> uh, but I, in all seriousness, you studied Christianity and culture. So it seems like, this intersection has been a focus of yours from the get-go. That's very generous uh, um, of you to name. I, I think that's true. You know, the intersection between religion and politics, between Christianity and culture, between Christianity yeah. and politics. Yeah, I, I worked in think tanks for two years. Again, thanks to Mike, right after college. Uh, had rich experiences in that and lived in Christian community around Capitol Hill and have stayed involved with that little house on the board now. I love this city. I love its energy and the fact that it pulls from so many different parts of the country and that people who come here, they very quickly are ready to practice hospitality and hang out together and go, go deep fast because they might not only be here for a year or two. You know, yeah. they're trying to change the world really fast. Most people don't stay. Uh, if you do stay, if you're what they call a marathoner rather than a sprinter, then, you know, you can often do a lot of quiet good over time and uh, be part of longer term friendships that can be really rich. So we love getting to raise our kids here and hope to stay here for at least the next couple of decades. Great, great. Now, last time we talked, you had this great uh, 
I, I had uh, bookshelf envy, yeah, or your you know library collection envy. Uh, who were some of the scholars, whether it was your time at, at Harvard or you know some of your reading uh, later on or, or now that really have influenced your thinking specifically at this intersection of politics and faith, politics and religion? Uh, appreciate that. Uh, you know, Kuiper, of course, is one. Abraham Kuiper, um, the Dutch neo-Calvinist prime minister who founded a newspaper and uh, helped start a political party and founded the Free University in, in Amsterdam. Uh, he's one, and he has this idea about, you know, thick pluralism or equitable public pluralism, confessional pluralism, structural pluralism as an anchor for how we, uh, we think about what we're, what we're all up to. Um, and I read for every podcast that we do, the person's book. Uh, so that's just a great, 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 uh, it's really, really quite fun. You know, a number of, of the journalists who are involved in Faith Angle's work, like I'd read them anyway, you know, you'd probably read them anyway, uh, yeah. Corey, you know, yeah. Uh, so, you know, to, to read, you know, David Brooks's book, The Second Mountain oh, cover. cover I've good? mentioned it on this podcast before, and, and you and I talked a little bit about it before, but that was one of the most impactful books I've read over the last three or four years easily. And, and, you know, there are some, some writers and his, his, his column in the, in the times is like this too. There are some writers who have a knack for, or thinkers, I should say, who have a knack for articulating things that have ingredients that are rumbling around in my brain and my soul. And they're able to bring some order to that and articulation to that to help me understand my own thoughts better. Brooks has such a knack for it. And folks that are involved with Faith Angle Forum, I mean, one after the other, after the other. And you've mentioned a few, uh, Michael Gerson. Um, there are folks speaking at the, the event coming up in April. Um, Kristen, is it Dumez or Dumay? Uh, Dumay, yes, right. And, right. and um, uh, Gergen, like these are these are my go-tos. It's amazing. At the very least, you guys have great taste in in uh, intelligentsia. Wow. <laughs> Well, we love uh, that intelligentsia and getting to be around them, of course, is a huge privilege. And, you know, I think the project exists because, you know, as we've all learned during the pandemic, nobody uh, flourishes in isolation. Uh, nobody really advances the best writing. Maybe they do some, but if they're truly introverted, truly, but the, the power of a group, the power of community is just where it's at. It's such a privilege for, for people to relate, you know, frequently with one another who pull you up. And I think, you know, some of the friendships that exist within uh, several of the people you've just mentioned um, as, as well, you know, on a regular basis, we'll pull them up and, and uh, strengthen and equip and encourage you to do better and push harder. And uh, so that's, I think that's at work in the midst of, of, of Faith Angle. And we have uh, some advisors to thank for that, those kinds of friendships and dinner groups that, that, that like inklings keep you, keep you, keep you growing. Did I send you the the link to that book uh, that I read on the Inklings? You did. Can't wait for that. I haven't read it yet, but yes, yes. Oh man, it's a guy. I, I love uh, in my imagination going into that those pubs that Tolkien and 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 Lewis and and their their colleagues uh, were sitting around and you know in my imagination sharing a Guinness or whatever it was that they were drinking with them. You know, it's uh, I, I love that stuff. I love like. But even doing it among ourselves, I got to hang out with uh, some friends last night, which is something we can't take for granted, actually hanging out with friends, you know, and just yes. folks talking shop and talking big ideas. It's really a gift, man. It's really a gift. Uh, one of the things I really appreciate it, the more I've learned about Faith Ankle Forum, is you're really an advocate for great writers and great thinking. But the... Um, 
the the ops there have been obstacles in the business of journalism, uh, not not just twenty in this year, but over the last say twenty years. Can you can you help us understand some of those obstacles? Yeah, I mean, sure, certainly, right. That local journalism is drying up bad, you know, and and there have been hundreds of papers in the last ten years, and thousands of of subscriptions, certainly, uh, you know, but have, have 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 gone have gone away, and that cheapens it, lessens the capacity to understand what's going on, in the local school board, uh, in local city council, in local just even recreational activities. It's not, we're not as connected as a result. And if you nationalize everything, which is what we've sort of trend, trended toward, um, you really do hollow out some of the, the thicker civil society and middle that's, that's so important. Um, if you make it all philanthropic, that's, that's okay if you can make that work. But again, that sort of hollowing out of uh, interested, economically interested and invested readers um, and a little thicker community, you know, you lose a sense of, of ownership and that's a big problem, of course. Right. So yeah, that's, that's one, one piece of it. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the, the tech uh, has allowed the bandito machine is famous, the Washington post, you, you instantly know how many readers you have uh, for a, a, gen, a general particular article. Uh, you immediately see it. And so if you write about foreign policy, guess what you have, you know, less than 100 article uh, readers, you know, if you write about something that's woke, uh, you put critical race theory in the title, guess what, you've got whoosh, big numbers, you know, and that's good for you and for your platform. So that's a problem. Uh, people just writing to what is sort of sexy that day and uh, week or the moment cultural moment, you know, a lot of things have been uh, challenging in journalism. And I think also, you know, there are certain outlets, Atlantic comes to mind, others, you know, who have done very well and figured out a way to get philanthropic support and hire, literally, you know, uh, I think Jeff's hired, you know, north of 100 full-time writers in the last two years. It's just incredible. You know, they've really, really grown and and, and have, have a good growing reach. The Times is growing, but it's the big papers, as you say, uh, not the the local middle of the country uh, papers that are that are the ones that are sort of thriving right now. And and that uh, poses a real problem for the heartland, the middle, the, me, the the smaller local outlets where we actually, you know, need to know what's going on and, and, and should, should want to fix that. Yeah, you said at one point, broad stories with broad appeal are valued more than particular pieces catering to distinct, in this case, specifically religious audiences. I'd like to think, though, that the democratization of some of these platforms, whether it's uh, for for writers like Substack or, you know, in the media, uh, the podcasting in general, allows us to identify uh, more narrow cast or even micro cast audiences for specific specific types of conversations um, to to be had, and you know, someone like me might not be able to, or or Faith Angle Forum might not be able to put uh, what's his name, um, the the guy that that got banned from YouTube that said that uh, the shooting in Sandy Hook didn't really happen. You you might not be able to put a guy like that out of business, but maybe someone spending one percent of their time or ten percent of their time listening to more edifying. Uh, material like like the material that you put out at Faith Angle Forum. No, it's a great word, and that's why if you and it's why genuinely if you you know because 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 new trees are are blossoming and you know right like being planted and 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 emerging. Uh, you know uh, Andrew Sullivan has just flourished to leave New York Magazine and actually start his own thing, and he's you know 
making twice the salary that he used to be making. And his supporters are, are, are actually being able to read him for him and what yeah. he want, really wants to say at, at, at twice the rate. And same thing with talking religion and politics without killing each other. You know, if it's a distinct niche, if it's a gift, man, support it. Patreon or whatever else it is. Yeah. Uh, but the idea is let, let the thing really grow if it's if it's a value. So what might you say to a skeptic who would accuse you or, or Faith Angle Forum of using the objective of nurturing religious literacy among media executives and journalists as more of a Trojan horse to smuggle in something more explicitly evangelical or proselytizing tactics? Yeah, I mean, our, our project really isn't um, uh, about that. It's not, we're not interested in trying to make people become Christians or make people become conservative or anything like that. We're not, it's about, it's about, um, uh, conviction that that society is better off when we appreciate that religion is always in the room and that journalists are better journalists uh, when they can report on the realities uh, that are shaping people's lives. And that certainly involves religion. It's not just uh, and we you know, the idea that we could somehow make our friend Will Salatin, for example, you know, who's moving around right now, become conservative because of, you know, our conferences having the right the right entree is just silly. It's just laughable. I mean, these are people that are too respectable to change their, you know, their political minds or their, uh, you know, religious affiliation. I mean, every once in a while, I mean, to be fair, you know, it will be the case that somebody will move religiously, but that's the exception, not the rule. There is one story that I was, I was told by Mike's widow uh, about a, a journalist at a progressive outlet, and she heard Tim Keller speak. I think in 2013, and she basically came back to DC. She typed in uh, Tim Keller Church, DC, click, and found one that was affiliated with Redeemer Pres in New York, where he uh, you know, started a church years ago. It's called Grace DC. She started going. Five months later, she actually decides she's going to become a Christian believer. Oh, wow. uh, so that was a, a neat story. Um, yeah. And she's fostering some kids now. She's doing amazing stuff. But, but you know, that is the exception. That is downstream. That is not the purpose of Faith Angle. The purpose of Faith Angle. Uh, is helping mainstream journalists better understand religion, period. Have you met with, in your job, uh, since you've been there, what, about three or four years now? Right, three and a half years. Yeah, so have you met with certain, with resistance from certain journalists or uh, publications? And and what were those objections? I mean, people can just vote with their feet. I feel like we have dinner parties, you know, we have uh, lunch gatherings and invite people to come over. And if they want to come over, they come over. They don't want to, don't want to come over. They don't come over. So it's not a yeah. big deal. I, as long as we can get a good party of 20 people or so each time, it's our goal. Uh, ideally, people that have some 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 reach and a, and a bright, you know, uh, flourishing career and life ahead of them, um, you know, then, then we're succeeding. So, I mean, I can think of, maybe some journalists that we've invited to forums who haven't come. Um, but mostly, honestly, that's the case because they're broadcast journalists and they can't get away or they just got their own show uh, nightly. And so it's just not practical to mm. take 48 hours away. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's great. We're, we're, we're for them too. So I come from a New York Jewish family. So I'd be grinding my teeth the whole time about the one person who didn't come. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it's easy to burn energy, but I, you run out of energy before you know it. No, that's why I'm, I'm going to therapy and you know, trying to learn how to do meditation. <laughs> yes, and yes, yes. My father is a uh, marriage and family therapist. So that's okay. uh, every All once right. in a while I'll get to pull out some of his skills as best I can and mess them up. But, you know, give them to people who are wrestling through this or that. Oh, that's right. 
your your parents had a similar uh, vocational line that my parents. My dad was a guidance counselor, yes. uh, learned therapy and stuff like that. My mother was lifelong teacher in New York. So your mother was a teacher too, right? Yes, yes, German and French. Yes. How about that? Do you speak French? I do speak French. Uh, I get to use it as as with broken, uh, you know, uh, effort in, in in France when we go over there. But um, I, <laughs> I'm, I've lost a lot of it, of course. I only remember paragraphs from uh, Le Petit Prince, uh, oh, Je okay. chasse les poules, les hommes chassent, you know. I, <laughs> but uh, if I went there, I, I think I'd probably pick it back up pretty quickly. But We did have the joy in this room of, of having a conversation with Bernard-Henri Levy and uh, Ed Luce uh, of Financial Times, but BHL, as they call him, the philosopher who's uh, French and, you know, always has his button down here, uh, mostly exposed. He's a, is a inherited some money from his father, a timber timber company uh, that creator, a fascinating guy who's done 20 plus books um, anyway. And he, he said a number of things in French. I was trying my best to keep up. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So beyond the work of Faith Angle Forum, what other strides are you seeing in individual reporting or journalism more broadly toward religious literacy and reporting on religion and outlets like uh, the ones that you work with, New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal? Well, I do think in the last 20 years, and I don't know how much of the credit uh, goes to Mike uh, and, and other friends, but a lot of the bigger papers have a religion reporter or two full time now. I think the trying to remember, I think it was maybe 0102, something like that, that the Washington Post went first to do that. And now today there, you know, Michelle Borstein and Sarah Pulliam Bailey, and sometimes Julie Salzmer, she's doing different things, you know, are, are full time on, on religion. Uh, and they do a good job. Uh, Sarah's an evangelical Christian. You know, Michelle uh, brings her own story, including cancer survivor and, 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 you know, religious heritage to, to the, to the job as well. Uh, Julie is, is, is Jewish Harvard grad, but you know, they, same is true at, at New York times, Ruth Graham, who's a Wheaton college alum uh, is there just hitting away uh, steadily on, on stories used to be at slate. Elizabeth Diaz, also a Wheaton grad is there uh, hitting away. And there was this great line that the, the, Dean Baquet from the New York Times editorial page, uh, uh, the editorial executive of, of New York Times basically said, I missed it. We missed it. We have misunderstood what happened in 2016. And I think I get it a little more so because I'm religious, because I'm, I'm Catholic. I'm from New Orleans. And, and effectively, we need to do a better job uh, understanding religion and the religious roots if we're going to tell the story the right way. Uh, we've got some real atoning to do, some real work to do. And his, his quote is even more precise than that. But, but, you know, they're a great example. There are others as well. Uh, Kelsey Dallas in uh, Utah, um, writing for Deseret News, is a full-time religion reporter there. So in other words, the papers have, have hired religion reporters. And, you know, religion reporters themselves, I think, have increasingly um, been invited to be a little bit less sort of just objective neutral, just the facts, you know, a little bit less uh, generic story that could be cold written by, you know, a computer, and to, to draw a little bit more a story and narrative uh, innuendo in, you know, as part of their own uh, reporting now. And I think all of that has, has worked uh, worked for the better. And a, a lot of the, the mainstream journalists who've, who have come to Faith Angle over the years, the light goes on quietly sometimes and they start to see more religion uh, at, at work in society and, and, and tell the story uh, softly and just little hues. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is really encouraging when in watching some of those videos to see some of those reporters that are involved in the conversations that you're having. And yeah, it's more, even if it's something more subtle, like by osmosis, they're picking up on, 
a, uh, a language, if you will, becoming more conversant in the language of folks who are religious, whether, and it's that, yeah, to your point, it's not just Christianity. I think the, um, the forum in April is including uh, emerging trends in Jewish life and religion. There are folks, uh, Muslim background. It's, it really is. Actually, that reminds me, I came across this wonderful phrase that's, I forget if you wrote it or if it's on the website, covenantal pluralism. Can you describe what is covenantal pluralism? Well, the, the credit for that goes to Chris Seipel, uh, the son of the World Vision president, Bob Seipel, and the uh, founder of the Institute for Global Engagement, who's just a wonderful guy, just a friend to a bunch of people in D.C., especially those who do work in religious freedom. And he gave a lecture uh, by that title in Philadelphia uh, five or six years ago. And and um, uh, just as a gem, just a connector. Hey, here's somebody you might think about as a speaker. And we, we'd love to get him as a speaker sometime too. But Chris Seipel uh, gave a lecture by that topic and wrote the first chapter in that book from Rutledge Press that you mentioned earlier uh, about covenantal pluralism, along with a guy named Chris Stewart at the Templeton Religion Trust. And I think the basic idea is that the world is a really religious place. You got, roughly speaking, 1.9 billion Muslims in the world and 2.3 billion Christians in the world. That doesn't get you to seven, but it gets you close, you know. And so we got to figure out a way to work together and, and work with each other and not be threatened by others' religion. And that's a big part of, of how we'll actually make it in the, in the, in the 21st century. Yeah, being able to have conversations across our differences and even celebrate our differences. What a virtue to aspire uh, towards. I, I'm still curious a little bit more about your own formation. When did you start to ask big questions or start to form your philosophical uh, questions and points of view? Uh, probably in college. I mean, I, I, I played soccer and, and enjoyed uh, college life at a small, though, you know, uh, Christian college. And when that stuff dries up, and even before it does, you know, the idea of politics and opinion and the stuff, again, that's on your podcast, Corey, um, you know, it's kind of appealing, uh, especially then. And then in coming to D.C., my mentor said, you know, the first year after college is the most important year of your life, really, because you're, you know, you're setting all your habits for the first time. There's no parents around. There's no school around. There's no roommates around. It's just it's just you. You can either step it up or not. So I read and read and read, you know, we all have those, uh, what do they call them, Damascus Road experiences where you just yeah. kind of come alive and reading. And I really enjoyed that uh, for a couple of years in D.C. right out of college. And look, it served you well. You could still work neo-Calvinist into a sentence. <laughs> I know I'm out of my league when somebody could do that. Nerd alert. Yeah. So, but, you know, you, you did mention Kern Family Foundation, but I'm curious about Every stop along the way, AEI, um, the Ethics Public Policy Center, where you're kind of, wait, you had two different stints there. This is technically your second stint there? Right. It's a boomerang. Yeah. So it's always been a focus of yours, this, this intersection. Do you want to describe um, maybe your experience at uh, the first go around at, at EPPC and, uh, and then AEI? It'd be nice to just hear a little bit more about your, your other experiences. Sure. That's really generous. Uh, um, you know, both kind of neoconservative places, um, you know, mugged by reality was the idea uh, and, and deep ideas that even if they're misunderstood in society broadly, 
ideally they're true. Um, and so reading scholars that, that, that kind of go deep around some of those ideas. I worked for um, actually one of our upcoming uh, forum speakers, Elliot Abrams, who's mostly worked in the national security space uh, and the State Department uh, over his uh, four plus decade career uh, in DC. And when he was president of UPBC on a foreign policy studies and Jewish studies project, uh, then worked at a smaller Christian think tank called uh, the Center for Public Justice in, in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, uh, that was very interested in welfare reform and school choice and promoting the idea of charitable choice when that was sort of just emerging uh, in the late 90s. Um, and then at AEI, we got to basically with a team uh, work with Christian colleges around the country um, and help faculty network, fac faculty members uh, of political science and economics and history departments uh, work together and share books and resources and also sort of welcome in uh, students to a number of conferences, either on those campuses or back here in D.C., um, and have quarterly events on some of these themes as well. So it's just nice to swim with others who are smarter than you. You know, that's the great thing about a think tank and, and grow as a result. And, you know, they say normally if you're on the on the left and you are voted out of office, you go work at the Woodrow Wilson School or the Kennedy School. Uh, but if you're on the right uh, and you're voted out of office, you go work at a think tank because, you know, you're not going to teach it. Um, maybe there's some schools, but you know that was the that was the norm here, um, and so they're they're a great area place to place to come. I would say if you're listening to this podcast and you are interested at all in the idea of coming to Washington D.C. or Christianity politics, religion and politics, think tanks in general, come on. Uh, there are ways to get plugged in. There are uh, especially post COVID, you know, incredible opportunities to to work on the Hill, but also to think about working at a think tank and, and doing some writing or maybe working at a, at a journalism outlet um, where you can, you can do a lot of good. Wow. It, it never occurred to me to even ask that question. Like, how does one end up at a thing? I just assumed, you, you know, you go to an Ivy league school and, you know, get a, do your dissertation post-grad in some, you know, uh, the, the Christianity of Marxism or something like, you know, some weird, like abstract, but, uh, and then you end up at, I don't know, uh, the Heritage Foundation or one of the, I, but it, I never thought like, how do people end up there? And I guess you, you just apply, you get involved and you apply. And <laughs> so that's interesting. So there's, um, there's an event coming up in April. It, it looked really, really interesting. Uh, I mentioned a couple of times here, but can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the forum coming up in April in Miami? Sure. It's, it's essentially, you know, our classic forum is to go away for two days to get away from New York, get away from DC, uh, retreat, uh, breathe deeply. Um, we put guests up in a, in a nice hotel and allow them to, to rest. And we have three topics each time. And this time, uh, one will be on sort of the reality of the mix of, of racial unrest and polarization and feedback loops and tech. And then like the possibility of actually, you know, theological hope in that reality, which is kind of like what we're really wrestling with. And that's Dr. Jonathan Walton, um, the chaplain at, at, at uh, Wake Forest and the dean there, a uh, former preacher at, at Harvard Memorial Church, and then also David Gergen, who's advised a number of presidents over the years. Um, and it's just a, it's a gem. It has a new book coming out uh, in May um, called Hearts Touched with Fire. It's quite good. And then we'll have one on uh, masculinity in the evangelical church called Jesus and John Wayne with Kristen Dumais, as you mentioned, and, and also Walter Kim, the new president of the National Association of Evangelicals, 
And then we'll have one also on the future of Judaism, Jewish religion, Jewish population, people making Aliyah um, sort of numbers where they're, where they're going with the director of religion research at Pew, Alan Cooperman and Elliot uh, Abrams. So, and we always put them up afterwards, a week afterwards, we do a transcript and make the video available for people who are interested in, in broadening the circle. Yeah, it's good stuff. It, it really is. I watched a couple of the videos from, there was one that I watched from the recent one you did in Europe, a couple of great panels, uh, really engaging stuff, really thought provoking, robust, nuanced conversations, makes you think about really important current events and important ideas that uh, that that are influencing our culture. So it, it's very, very helpful. The, the content is great. Do you have any questions for me? Oh, man. I mean, you're on the left coast, uh, Corey. And so yeah. I guess I wonder a little bit like, not how bad is it, uh, but like, you know, your view of, of this thing you're talking about here about sort of different Americas, uh, pockets that have sort of very different realities. You know, you might be in church and there's nobody wearing a mask and then you get to a, a meeting at the state house and everybody's wearing a mask. Why? Basically, I'm, I'm curious about, you know, David French basic thesis. I don't know if you've had him on your podcast yet or not. Uh, he's one of my goals. Okay. We'll try to, we'll try to help. Uh, yeah. Well, he's got this idea that like, you know, the, the sort of ingredients for a civil war, we, we hope not, we don't think so, but, you know, contiguous, you know, land groups uh, where people begin to really believe increasingly sort of very different things from one another. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, particularly in the, the spaces that we work with, which is religion and, and journalism, you know, how different do you think are the norms of leading journalists in California uh, that you read on the one hand from you know, clerics and people in the church on the other. Well, you're describing the polarization of the, the worlds that, that I'm in. So my day, I can be in uh, some boutique agency in Hollywood and the default assumptions about what's right and wrong and what's happening in America is pretty two-dimensional. Whereas over the, you know, over the weekend, or I'll go to a Bible study at night, not necessarily in the church that I'm going, that we're a part of now, but the church I was a part of for the first decade or so after I became a Christian. And those, the, the, the lens through which they see the world is so different. The assumptions, I said uh, just a couple of days ago, I, I told a friend of mine in, uh, who, who owns one of these uh, creative agencies in Hollywood, you know, I've lost three friends to COVID. Uh, and he asked me, well, are they, uh, we, we talk about politics. He and I talk about politics and religion all the time. Well, are they your Trump supporting friends? I said, yeah, it so happens. Um, two were just, you know, chest thumping, MAGA hat wearing. One was a little bit more subtle in his support, but they were all, and, and he said, you know, it's, it's terrible that they died, of course, and I'm sure their families are, are grieving, but I, he said, I, it's hard for me to sympathize. You know, because he didn't know them as human beings and he didn't have conversations with my other friends who are the MAGA hat wearing friends. So it's hard for him to to have a three dimensional point of view about who they are as human beings. And the same can be said about my friends at church. You know, that, that's why, I, you know, I, I hear I hear these assumptions. It, it's it's very it's very two dimensional. 
it, there's there there's a tendency for my friends in the in the Hollywood world as well as my friends in the church world to to generalize, make caricatures out of, and and demonize folks that they don't know. So so to build to build bridges or, or just at least sinews that where folks can get to know each other as human beings, you know. Uh, and I hear that very much as a major theme of this podcast. And I wonder if I can just add one more, if you're willing, sure. uh, uh, Corey, it's just that, you know, the, you asked about philanthropy earlier and the, the, the billionaire for whom I worked for a season uh, was very convinced that you better spend your money on people who are 30 and below. Mm. Cause by the time you hit 30 and above, you're not really going to change. I mean, maybe a few people change. And I wonder, I don't know if you know the metrics on your listeners, but uh, do you do you think, however, uh, with these larger problems of polarization that people over 30 can change? I mean, do you see signs of hope in this larger conversation uh, about religion and politics? Far be it for me to question a billionaire, but (laughs) I, I the real answer is it depends on the person. I think there are some folks who come out of the womb and their mind is made up, you know, but there are other folks who are, look at David Brooks, man, that, that dude, if, if anybody ever earns the right to think that they've settled on the right set of answers, it's, it would be somebody like David Brooks, but that dude's still evolving, you know, and, and, and events in the world force one to reconsider one's assumptions. How, how many of my friends were voted Republican their entire lives? And then Donald Trump happens. Now, listen, a lot of folks are doing all kinds of mental acrobatics and twisting and turning to figure out, you know, that, well, he's really a Christian, but he's just kind of a right. You know, no, 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 no. You know, there are a lot of folks who had the intellectual and ethical integrity to say, you know what? I can open up practically every page of the Bible and it testifies against the words and actions and character of Donald Trump. I have to rethink whether I can vote Republican this time around. You know, so the the short answer to your question is it depends on the person and it depends on the circumstances. I think we can all evolve. You know, the the second that I I think, you know, even in in personal things, parenting, you you have two kids, right? Three. Mm -hmm. Three kids. How old and how old are your kids? Uh 12, nine, and just turned seven. And your 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 youngest is a girl, right? And the other two are boys. Yeah. Uh, Boy, girl, girl. So so I'm a little bit ahead of you. Mine are um, about to be 21, uh, 18, and about to be 17. And literally, like uh, on a daily basis, I have these epiphanies that, man, I had that all wrong. And you know, there, there's a, I have this tendency to, you know, spend a little bit of time in in regret uh, that I, I had it wrong and I've been doing it wrong. But just just uh, was it yesterday, the day before we were sitting around the dinner table and I got upset about something. I OK, so I'm going to share a little personal story. I don't like talking about body hair and and bodily fluids at the dinner table. It bothers me. And I've told my family as much. So the subject of body hair came up at the dinner table. I got all upset. And, and the next day I, I was I, I didn't know what occurred to me, but I thought, man. You got to lighten up, dude, you know, because me getting upset and making a point about not talking about that stuff at the dinner table is not nearly as important as making a more hospitable place where my kids want to be around the dinner table in the first place. You know what I mean? So this is a really long way around the barn of saying, man, the second I think I have it right or any of us have it right. And I I just turned 50 years old uh, almost exactly six months ago. We're we're all in trouble, man. We're all in trouble. So I'd rather uh, continue evolving and uh, learning 
you know, I, I believe in God, but I ain't God. And that's one of my firmest convictions. So yeah, ho- hopefully we'll continue to, uh, to, to walk the walk and, and evolve in, in very positive ways. It's a great word. Well, it's great to stay open and it's nice to have some bright lights writing great stuff to help us along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to ask you how we can find Faith Angle Forum, more information about you, but more importantly, are, are there ways that folks can participate or get more involved or perhaps support Faith Angle Forum? Oh, that's very generous. Uh, well, we have descriptions of, of some of that at, at faithangle.org. Uh, we're entrepreneurial, so we're always trying to grow. Yeah, I think if you know of a, of a journalist who would be well-suited to come to a forum, we'd, we'd always welcome trying to do that. Again, there's one in Napa, there's one in Miami, there's one now in Europe, there's one here in D.C., um, so we'd love to to have your help in the larger ecosystem that's part of uh, this effort we're, we're trying to build together. So how can we find you and Faith Angle Forum online or on social or anywhere else? that, that you- Oh, that's generous. We've got a, a Twitter handle, uh, Faith Angle Forum. We've got uh, a, a faithangle.org is our website where we basically catalog conversations like today's and the forums. We often do a transcript at the request of a number of journalists who who prefer uh, old school, right? Prefer yeah. to, to read the actual quotes and use them rather than just uh, just watch a video. Um, so an audio as well is available if you, if you, you know, work out and you want to hear the, the really good conversation between Tim Keller that sent that journalist to a, to a church in DC. It must've been pretty good. You can go, you can go back and find it on audio. Um, so we, we have that website. That's a main, a main hub. Um, and, uh, there are ways to, to get involved as well. You know, someday we'll, we'll get a dream team of people involved who, who are also supporters and sometimes supporters will come to a forum and observe quietly from the side and, and then also get the chance to mix with, with journalists at, at dinner. So that's a, that's a, a reality sometimes too, but, uh, mostly that's our repository, faithangle.org. Faithangle.org. Real easy to find great stuff on there. Great content, uh, spend spend a little bit of time on there take it away from uh tucker carlson tonight or <laughs> i don't know you wouldn't say that but i i can so anyway so it, it's really great hanging out with you and getting to know more about faith angle forum getting to know a little bit more about you i've really enjoyed it treat thanks so much Corey. thanks for what you're building you bet and as always if you dig what we're doing here please hit that subscribe button leave a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about tpnr we're easier to recommend than ever it's politics and religion.us politics and religion.us you can even support our program through the patron app on our site now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week thank you for joining us today if you dig what we're doing here it is super easy to follow us you can go to our site politics and religion.us that's with the and spelled out a-n-d politics and religion.us and we're on all the socials at tp and our pod you know tp and our pod for talking politics and religion pod and here's a big way you can support us by becoming one of our patrons you can even become a producer or executive producer of our program and have a lot more say in who we bring on the kinds of questions we explore or just help us keep the lights on but mostly we really appreciate you giving us a listen so for the whole team here at talking politics and religion without killing each other thanks for hanging out with us We'll be back in a few days to do our little part in Tikkun Olam. <laughs>